tonight is honor your parents. <clears throat> we face a crisis in this country. Uh, partly, it's my generation's fault. Uh, the generation before me, we call builders, I think. And the generation after me, we call Gen Xers and then millennials and Gen Z. So what's my generation? Boomers. And we did. We boomed from about uh, 45 to 63 or somewhere like that. And now we are reaping the harvest. We are the only U.S., we're, the U.S. is the only developed country, one of only two developed countries that has a nationwide kind of social system for caring for the aged, an insurance plan. Uh, most other developed countries have some kind of system built into their social security system for long-term care. Private long-term care costs quite a bit, as many of you know, several thousand dollars. And it is out of reach of many Americans. Uh, you know, it drives some then to deplete all of their savings so that they can qualify for um, almost indigent care. <clears throat> Only about seven million Americans have long-term insurance policies for long-term care. Seven out of how many? How many million do we have in America now? 330 or so. So that's a pretty low percentage. Under the current elder care system that we have, <clears throat> responsibility for taking care of our older adults rests largely with uh, family members and friends, at least for a while. And there are an estimated 40 million Americans who provide some kind of unpaid health care for an older adult. In 2018, there were 52 million people aged 65 and older. By the mid-2030s, by about 2034, the population of the baby boomers will surge to 78 million, and it will exceed for the first time in our nation's history the number of children in this nation. We're not just a graying nation, but we are also a nation that's facing a real crisis with elder care. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been dealing with it for some years, maybe with your parents. More than half of the older Americans will eventually re require long-term care. And the average lifetime care cost, they estimate, for this is about almost $140,000, which actually, I think, is kind of on the low side. 15% of those seniors, uh, the cost will approach about a quarter of a million. Do you remember the day when a million dollars was a lot of money. The median household income in households led by people that are 65 or older in about 2018 was about $44,000. And the net worth of those families was somewhere around two and a quarter million dollars. That sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? When you talk about portions of millions of dollars, wow. But that's not going to be enough because, as many of you know, to provide in-home health care for someone full-time runs about 50000 a year. And to provide for somebody in a health care facility, what we used to call nursing homes, runs somewhere in the neighborhood of about 100000 
So you think about a person, a family's net worth being two and a quarter million dollars, you run out. I mean, that you run out of that pretty quickly at 100,000 a year, not to mention just taking care of your own family. So we face a health care crisis for elder care in this nation. Well, what does that have to do with what we're talking about tonight? Well, the Ten Commandments were directed at whom? Well, the Jewish nation, and then, of course, those that came into the uh, covenant community. But what, what age was it aimed at, really? It was aimed at the adults. Now, it doesn't mean that the laws didn't apply to children, but it was spoken to the adults. And the adults were then to do what in Deuteronomy 6? They were to teach their children. So the first audience that hears the Ten Commandments is the adult population of Israel. And it is to them that it is primarily aimed. Not many children commit murder. Some do. Not many commit adultery. I mean, this is real, these are adult issues. But then you teach the children, and as they grow up, then they know to honor God and to honor the parents. Uh, this is especially important when we look at the Fifth Commandment. <clears throat> What are the implications when we talk about honoring our father and our mother? You heard it read in the middle of that Ephesians passage. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Well, the implication, I think, is pretty obvious. This was heard by adults who had parents. It was really telling them to honor their parents, who were the elderly in their population. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not about children obeying their parents who are 30 and 40 years old. But the main idea here was take care of your older parents. And it applies to children as well. And I think that's significant because it addresses one of the great crises in our nation today. The parallel texts for this, of course, are found in Deuteronomy 5 and is a similar text in Leviticus 19. Deuteronomy 5 is almost the same. It adds a few phrases, a couple of phrases. Honor your father and mother, and then it says, as the Lord has commanded you. This is actually the Deuteronomus, the second giving of the law, so it's already been heard by them before. That your days may be prolonged, and then it also adds and that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And that's important because in the Exodus passage it is that your days may be prolonged in the land. And I'll talk about the difference there in a few moments. Leviticus 19 links this commandment to the fourth one. What is the fourth commandment? Yeah, to keep the, the Sabbath day holy. Uh, Leviticus 19.3 says this, Every one of you shall revere his mother and father and shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord. That's interesting. So there's a linkage here between the last one in the first table and the next to the last one, or it may be the first one in the, la in the next table. And you heard the passage from Ephesians 6, which is a parallel passage, but it's interesting. Here, it adds a word at the beginning. What does Ephesians add that is not at the beginning of uh, the Exodus and Deuteronomy passages? It begins with the verb, honor, and the verb in Ephesians is obey, but it begins with what? Children. This is addressed to children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, and then it quotes 
Exodus 20, verse number 12. Honor your father and mother. And then Paul inserts this, which is the first commandment with a what? With a promise. And that's important. So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And Colossians 3. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. These are two passages from the New Testament that come out of what we call the household codes, where we're told how husbands and wives should treat each other, how children should treat their parents, and then how who should do what. Slaves or workers should obey their masters or employers. They're negative uh, expressions of this command. It's not really... Uh, command, but there are ne- negative Im- implications. Two passages in Exodus 21. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to what? To death. Exodus 21:17. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Leviticus 29. If there's anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother, and his blood guiltiness is upon him. When Israel was to stand in the promised land before Mount the two mountains and to pronounce the blessings and the curses, what were those two mountains? Gerizim and Ebal. And they were to pronounce the curses in front of which mountain? Mount Ebal. It is at that point when this is rehearsed in Deuteronomy telling them what to do when they go into the promised land, it says this, one of the curses is, cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say, amen. And Solomon in the Proverbs, if one curses his father or his mother, this is a kind of a word picture here, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. That's another way of saying condemnation of death or exclusion from the community. And one of the most infamous passages about this is in Deuteronomy 21. The rebellious are stubborn child. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. So what's the relation of this commandment to the rest of the Decalogue, to the rest of the Ten Commandments? Well, most scholars, and I think all of us, would agree that there are basically two tables of the law. There's the first table, and it's about our relationship vertically with God. And there's a second table of the law, which is about our horizontal relationship. And these really reflect the two great commandments, don't they? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then to horizontally to love your neighbor as yourself, which is found, of course, in Leviticus 19. So how are these tables divided? Well, scholars disagree about this. In fact, different religious traditions number the commandments a bit differently, as we've already heard previously. Some include this command in table number two, that is, dealing with social relationships, uh, that this is obedience to your parents, honoring your father and mother is essential to what? To social order, and that makes sense. 
harmony in human relationships. Others would include it in table one because we're to honor our parents just as we honor God. In fact, our parents are to be what? Representatives of God and the family to us. In fact, Leviticus 19, which we'll look at in just a moment, speaks about revering mother and father. It uses the verb yare, which is often used about God, to stand in awe of. In Leviticus 19.32, it says, You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. And so this is another uh, uh, indication that this commandment is really talking about adults honoring those that are uh, elderly in their, in their uh, midst. And you shall revere your God, I am the Lord. So it combines this idea of honor of the older people in our midst along with revering God. And it's linked in a couple of ways to the previous commandment. In Leviticus 19, I quoted part of it. Here's the rest of it. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. What's interesting about that? The order is switched. Yeah. You know, uh, Hebrew culture was unique in the Middle East at that time in terms of respecting and honoring the what? The mother. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. So we said that already. So it's linked to the Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God, which is more, even more emphasis about the vertical relationship. And then it says in verse number four, do not turn to idols or make for yourselves a molten God. I am the Lord your God. So this is even more suggestive that maybe this commandment is linked more to the first table. That's a contextual linkage. There's a kind of conceptual linkage here, too, with the... Uh, the Sabbath command. In the Sabbath command, we are to keep the Sabbath day holy, honoring God's creation that it might be renewed and it might rest. And this looks back to God's action of providing the land and also asking us to rest not only ourselves, but to rest the land. And as God rested, we're to rest. This command then talks about the land, doesn't it? But it looks to the future. It looks to the land that they are going to occupy and if they're going to be prosperous in that land. In the future, the promise is given then. If they honor their parents, then they will prosper. It's unique, obviously. It's one of two commandments that is entirely positive, and that is, of course, keeping the Sabbath in this one. And it's the first commandment with a promise. And as I said earlier, it's unique because of its emphasis then in other places on the mother. So let's take a look at the commandment. Let's take a look at the structure and, and then the meaning. The structure is pretty obvious. There is a requirement first, and that is to do what? To honor the father and the mother, our parents. And then there's a promise that your days may be prolonged in the land. The requirement honor is different than what Paul says in Ephesians. He says obey. Here it is to give great weight and glory to our parents. It's to treat them as special. Honor them. Not just love them. Not just obey them, but honor them. Give them what? What do you think of with the word honor? To attribute to them what? Dignity? And what should our attitude be? Respectful. Because of their weighty influence in our lives. After all, they are the ones that God chose to bring us into the world. 
And the verb is intensive. It means really, genuinely, truly, as we said this morning, not just lip service, honor them. And the promise is that our days will be prolonged in the land. The word there, land, is, of course, the word, the common word that is used for, for man, Adama. But it's also not the word for wasteland, wilderness. It's a word that is used for the promised land, which is productive, which is fruitful, which is tillable. This suggests that when they go into the promised land, that they can prosper if they take care of it. And that is also connected to the commandment of the Sabbath. And it's the Lord, that, the land that the Lord will give them. Canaan, the land of promise. Promised to Abraham at the very beginning, almost the very beginning. Three chapters after his call in Genesis 15. He promises this land to Abraham's descendants. And then that promise is renewed again to his child, Isaac, in Genesis 26. And then to his child, to Jacob, in Genesis 28. A bountiful and productive land that we usually describe as a land, what? Flowing with milk and honey. And it was promised to Moses at Sinai. The, the moment that God promises in Exodus 3 that he is going to deliver them, it is not to deliver them to the wilderness. It is to deliver them eventually to this promised land of milk and honey. And it's promised four times in the Torah. So the idea here is there is a land that is bountiful. It's a land that will, in which you can prosper. And God commands them to possess it. In Deuteronomy 1, he says, See, I have placed the land before you. Go. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them, and also to their descendants. So there's a promise here. You're about to, th these commandments are given just as they are on the, they're on the plains of Moab, the second time the law is given, and they know they're going to go into this prosperous land. And one of the conditions is that they will honor their parents, that their days will be prolonged on the earth. And the word there is used, it means literally days. But it could, of course, we know, mean ages. It could be a long period of time, and that's important. It could even refer to lifetimes. What we do know is that if they honor their parents, they will continue in the land. So let's look at the commandment itself. Honor your father and mother. What are some reasons for this commandment? Well, parents are perceived by Hebrew culture, and I believe by God, as his representatives to the children. And so children ought to honor their parents because these are God's representatives. God chose you to be born into the family that you were born. I believe that. I believe that before I was born and before my mother, who was 15 years old when she got married, and my dad, who was almost 19, when they got married, God knew that I was going to be born about three and a half years later, somewhere in that day. He knew long before that. We're all sort of like Jeremiah, aren't we? He knew us when we were knit in the womb. He knew us by name, and he knew the family into which we were going to be born. And I think it's in that context. He chose you to be born into that family, and your parents are to be honorable. They are not to provoke you. They are to teach you. They are to be kind, and they are to be encouraging, and we are to honor them. There's another reason. Parents are the teachers of children. 
their wisdom and experience, hopefully. They're wise and experienced, and we should acknowledge that. I know there's a phase in life that begins somewhere around, I don't know, when is it? 12, 13, 14, 15, and sometimes it lasts till 30 when we really aren't too sure about that, you know. Uh, our teenage years, all of us have been through it, and some of us are maybe about to go through it, where we really do question whether or not they have any sense whatsoever. But after we're about 30, it is amazing, remarkable, how much wisdom we see that they have as we look in hindsight in the rearview mirror. Their wisdom and experience should be acknowledged and followed. The biblical advice from Solomon, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And again in Proverbs 6, My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So they're our teachers. They're the ones that show us what life is all about. They guard and protect us. Parents also pass on what? God's commands. And in this context, God's covenant laws which we honor, which we study, and which we believe, okay? This is the second obligation of the Shema. The first obligation is to do what? To love the Lord. He is, he is one, and we're to love Him. And the second obligation is, after loving God, the parents are instructed to teach their children His laws. Now, why is that? Because it perpetuates God's love. I mean, God, well, God's love, yes. And His laws in His what? In His covenant community to the next generation. So we honor our parents because they're God's representatives. We honor them because they teach us and their wisdom. We honor them because they then pass on God's law. Also, too, it perpetuated the legacy of Israel's history to the next generation. And the Old Testament says this. There's going to come a day when your children and their children are, who did not see when I defeated Sion and Og. They did not see when I parted the Red Sea. They did not see these things. You need to give testimony of these things to your children and pass them on. And this was an oral society, wasn't it? And as they rehearsed this to their children and their children memorized and then learned it and they grew to be adults then, their children sat at their feet and they heard the stories about God's deliverance and His faithfulness. So it perpetuates the legacy of God's law and His kindness in the covenant community. Also, too, as we move away from strictly biblical teaching, although this is biblical, but it's also natural, according to natural law. Family is foundational to social harmony and the structure of society. The parent-child relationship, we know, is foundational to generational perpetuation. And this is permanent. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm a child. I'm still a child. I hope I don't always speak it as, as a child, but I'm a child and so are you. We're children of God, but also, too, many of your children in this respect, many of you, your parents, are still alive. So, I have, my mother is still living. I still honor her. This is a permanent thing. I turned 70 a year ago, so I'm 71, but I still, hopefully, appropriately, honor my mother. This is not something that we do only until we're 21 or 33 or 45. It's a permanent thing. This relationship must be transmitted and perpetuated in order to sustain an orderly society. Family solidarity, ideally, and I know a lot of families are broken. I, I get it. 
But ideally, family solidarity is essential to the prosperity of our culture. We see this in, in Hebrew life. Many of Israel's religious celebrations and ceremonies focused on the family, the Passover meal, for example. The, cel- the festivals, they, they came to Jerusalem together as families and celebrated those. Most of the sacrifices that were done were done on behalf of not just an individual. Some were done for individuals, but most of them were done on behalf of the what? The family. The high priest, we said a couple of weeks ago, when the high priest went in then, before he offered then the goat for Israel, for the sins of Israel, he offered a bull for himself and what? And his family. So the family, you see, was integral to the structure of all Jewish society. And in fact, that's not only a biblical thing, it's a natural thing, isn't it? It's, an inher- it's inherent to natural law. In ancient Egypt, Fatahotep, who lived probably before Abraham, they recovered some of his writings, and, and he is quoted as having said, the duty of filial piety is strictly inculcated. The son who accepts his father's words will grow old in the consequence of doing so. The obedient son will be happy by reason of his obedience. He will grow old and he will come to favor. So this idea of longevity is connected even in cultures beyond Jewish and biblical cultures with honoring one's parents. Confucius in China, (laughs) he built a whole moral system for society upon the principle of parental authority. Now the, the word of warning there is we don't need to then push it to the point of what? Of ancestor worship. Ancient Rome, familial loyalty was foundational to all of the structure of politics and governance in Rome. The Middle Eastern culture was this way. They viewed in many, in many, uh, in many places in ancient pagan times before the development of the Greek and Roman pantheons, who was the priest? The priest was the father in the home. And the altar of worship was in the home. And he was the one that offered sacrifices on behalf of the family. Although we don't agree with that, you see, it was fundamental to pagan society. Also, too, honoring parents is necessary for self-preservation of the legacy. How we treat our parents today, how you as 30-year-olds treat your parents today, will be how your 5-year-olds treat you 40 and 50 years from now. How I treat my mother today is how my daughter will treat me in another 10 or 20 years if we live that long. And, of course, we have the promise so that we might prosper in this land Hmm. according to God's commandment promise. So how do we follow this commandment? How do we put it to practice? Well, number one, you might expect me to say, because I led off with the examples of the problems and crises that we have of elder care, is that we ought to be committed to taking care of aged parents. There comes a time when they cannot work, they cannot help themselves sometimes, and sometimes they are infirmed and they need health care as well. You see, remember, these commandments were aimed mainly at the adult population. Social security in the Jewish society relied on whom? It relied on the family. And, of course, that's the way it was in this nation for many generations. Until we came to the 20th century, there were two institutions that provided care for for older parents, for older people. 
Well, maybe three. But the one was the what? The church, and the other was the family. And then in the 19th century, some societies began to develop, and then government became involved. Um, <clears throat> caring for aged parents, what does this include? What does that mean? It means that we make sure that they're provided for, their physical needs and their safety is provided for. It makes, we make sure that they have adequate health care, of course. We honor them and their dignity. We respect them. We take time to listen to them. They still have words of wisdom for us. We don't know everything. We, we honor their value systems. You know, every family establishes its own value system. And for most of you, your value systems are very, very, very closely in line with yours. But when you form a family, God then brings a man and a woman together. They become one flesh. And they bring together two different value systems, slightly different. And you form a family that has its own value system. So it's going to be a little bit different, maybe, than your parents. That's nothing to worry about as long as they both fit within biblical standards, okay? But it also means that we don't, we don't come to the point where we think that we know everything and our value system is necessarily better than theirs. We honor their value systems and what they believe as long as they're biblical. We respect their right to make their own decisions. And boy, that's a tough thing, isn't it, if you've been there? Because sometimes there comes a point when aged parents cannot make their own decisions because of dementia or Alzheimer's. But as much as possible, we try to honor their, their values and their own decision-making process as long as possible. For what reason? We don't want to rob them of their what? Dignity. Their dignity. And that, that's, a, that's a tough thing when you have to step in then and take the car keys away from an older parent who shouldn't be driving and that sort of thing. Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees for not doing this. New Testament. What did they do? They had money to take care of their parents, but they wanted to keep it, and they didn't want to give it up. And so they, cooked, they dedicated it to the, what, to the temple, but they were allowed to escrow it until it was time to give it up. What do they call that? Korban. And what did Jesus say about that? You're experts, he said, in setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who then speaks evil of his father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, that which I have, which could help you, is korban, that it's given to God, you no longer, you scribes and Pharisees, no longer let that person do anything for his father or mother. And he said, in so doing, you do what? It says, you invalidate the word of God by your tradition, which you hand down from generation to generation. And you do many such things as that. We're obliged to take care of our parents. Today, some of this obligation has been re uh, regulated by the government and has been taken over by some forms of Social Security, but they're not adequate. And what that means to me is, no matter how great the Social Security system is, or if you live in a country where, in fact, they do have a nationwide insurance plan for long-term care, it does not divorce us from the responsibility of what? honoring and loving and taking care and participating in the care of our older parents. And it extends to all elderly people, not just our parents. Honor fathers and mothers. We honor the fathers and mothers of other kids, too. 
Leviticus 19, I said it earlier, you shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, just as you revere your God, for I am the Lord. You see, how we treat our parents is how we treat the elderly in society. Boy, that's an indictment today when we look at how many elderly people are abused and not taken care of. It says something about how many people take care of their parents and don't. Another thing that we do apart from taking care of our parents is to obey their guidance when they teach biblical principles. Um, and, and not just in the strict, objective things that the Scripture says. They have much wisdom to share with us, and we ought to respect that. They're not right about all things, but we ought to listen to them, and we ought to listen to their wisdom. And this does not mean that we simply become clones of our parents. We may have some slightly different values, but we listen to them and sift what they say and abide by their wisdom as much as possible. And there's another side of this responsibility. Parents have a responsibility too, and that came out in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. Fathers, do not what? Provoke your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the instruction should be according to Scripture. In Colossians, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Or they'll do what? They'll lose heart. Another way that we honor our parents is to value them, to seek their wisdom, to thank them for what they have done in our lives, and to affirm them. To honor their bequests. What does this mean? We need to respect their need to provide for themselves. They have saved, and they've got some money set aside, and that money ought to be committed and dedicated, first of all, to do what? To take care of them in their old age. We don't sit there waiting for that pile of money to come to us. (laughs) And, and, you know, I I understand, you know, a a couple's life savings sitting there. Some of that is going to be in the will. Some of that's going to come to the next generation. But we should not begrudge when that money begins to be whittled away to provide for them because, in fact, that's the first purpose of it. We need to honor their decisions on how that is distributed in their will. And we need to honor them in their memorial and funeral request as much as possible. And then finally, we need to behave in ways that do what? That honor the family, that honor the reputation. How many of you were told by your parents, your name is precious, guard your name? Do not bring dishonor upon it. Some biblical examples of honoring parents. Joseph, even though this was before the Ten Commandments, Joseph was redemptive with his family, and he took care of his aged father, Jacob, when he came to Egypt. David, think about this. David has been anointed king. Nobody knows except the family knows about it. And he goes out and he slays Goliath and all, and then he does what? He comes back to his hometown and he serves his dad. He honors his dad. He goes back to shepherding. There were good sons of good kings. Um, Jehoshaphat followed Asa. And you know how the Old Testament says, and he continued in the ways of his father. He did, he did right. <laughs> Amaziah followed Joash. Uzziah followed Amaziah. And Jotham followed Uzziah. All good kings who had sons that listened and obeyed. And then there were those that dishonored their parents. <laughs> One of the patriarchs, Jacob. He did what? He stole. He stole Esau's birthright. He did not honor his dad's will. And he stole Isaac's what? 
blessing. But God redeemed that. God can recover a person from disobedience. Reuben slept with Bilhah, uh, his father Jacob's concubine. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they stole from the sacrifices and they committed adultery with, with women and brought public shame upon the dead, Eli. Absalom rebelled against his father. And there were bad sons that followed good kings and did not listen to them. And he who started out well and wise, Solomon, in his latter days, did not listen to the advice of his father or his own advice. Ahaz followed Jotham, who was a good king. Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings in Jewish history, Manasseh, and the scripture says that he was the most wicked of all, followed the good king, Hezekiah, who was the reformer. Jehoahaz followed then um, Josiah, good king, didn't listen. So what about the promise of prolonged days then? We close with this. What's the nature of the promise? Does this mean then that if we honor our fathers and our mothers then that we will live to be a hundred? Long will be your days in the land that I am, into which I'm sending you. It's not an absolute promise. We know that. Um, it's a general principle. It's a general principle, and, and maybe for individuals, but I think it's really mainly for the whole nation. You see, the scope of, the, the, of, of this promise, I think, encompasses all of Israel. They're about to enter the promised land, and if they will obey these commandments, if they will observe the Sabbath and give the land rest, then it will be prosperous. And if they honor their parents and they continue to teach these to their children and they listen to their parents, then they will establish a society which will be obedient to both tables of the law. And then society will prosper. It's, I think it's a general application. The national application, I think, is this. Following commandments 4 and 5, then give rest to the land and prosperity to the land, and they build a structure in the society that they are going to where the commandments will be honored. And God says this to them in Deuteronomy 27, just before the end of the, of the book. He says, you're about to go into the promised land, and a prerequisite for entering Canaan is that you will keep my laws and that you will honor your parents. Disobedience, we're told, and the curses then in Deuteronomy 28 is, if you don't do this, blight will come on the land, you will be defeated, you will be exported, and you will be dispersed. And that's what happened. God judged, judged Israel for two reasons. They broke the first table of the law, and that was what? Idolatry. And they broke the second table of the law with social injustice. And these things meet at the fifth commandment, whether you put it in the first table or the second table. There might be some individual application to this. There is an incident in Jeremiah 35, the Rechabites, where indeed, in fact, individual family, individual tribe was blessed because they kept the commandments of their parents. They were the Rechabites. They were descendants of the Kenites, a Midianite tribe that was related to Jethro. And they moved into Israel along with the rest of the Israelite nation. They moved into Canaan. And Jehonadab, who was their patriarch, gave this command. He said, you will not drink any wine and you will not settle in, in houses and buildings. You will live a nomadic life. And they honored that. They didn't drink wine and they lived a nomadic life. Now, fast forward to the days of uh, Nebuchadnezzar when they're being invaded by the Assyrians. And they took refuge in Jerusalem, but they still honored that uh, command not to drink wine. And when the king called them in, Jehoiakim called them in, and he offered them wine to refresh them, they refused it. And God called Jeremiah in, and he said, you see, they get it. 
They honor their father, they honor their mother, they honor their parents, they listen to the commandments, and Israel has not done that. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy Judah because of its disobedience to my law. But they have followed their parents' commands, and therefore they have been faithful. And Jeremiah 35, 19 said, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me this way, God said. Let me close with this. Who is the prototype, then, of the one who most perfectly honored his parents? Jesus. Luke 2, 51 uh, says that he continued in subjection to them. As he comes out of the River Jordan, his father says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, I'm well pleased with him. He obeyed God even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he remains the dutiful, obedient son. I know that he is king. I know that he reigns together. I know that he is the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. But we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that when everything comes to an end, then what is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, going to do? He is going to turn everything back over to his father. Wow. The perfect prototype of the obedient son is our Lord Jesus Christ. So this isn't just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament. It's a new covenant principle. We should respect the guidance of elders in the church, 1 Peter 5, 5. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, older persons, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And how we honor our elders, friends, is how we honor those in leadership in our church as well. He tells Timothy, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a what? As a father. To the younger men as brothers, and to the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity, honor widows who are widows indeed. How we treat our parents is also how we treat the elderly in society. How we treat our parents is how we honor the elderly in our church. And the principles that I've talked about earlier apply to our church. We should take care of our older folks in our church. And thus is the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long on the earth to which I am this land that I am, I am about to take you.